Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. Welcome to Blissful Prospecting. If you're checking out the podcast for the first time, I'm on a mission to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're sending cold emails, making cold calls, you're trying to get big meetings with prospects, you're definitely in the right place. I believe, especially with Outbound, that we can have fun and kick ass at the same time, that we can make more money and not be ashamed of that. And I also believe that sales is a lifestyle. So everything that I talk about in this podcast is 100% applicable to things that you can do in your everyday life, whether that's talking to strangers, getting along with your spouse or your friends better, whatever it might be, I really believe that sales is a lifestyle. So today we're talking to Jason Russell. I met him because he uh, is a client. He came to me originally when we were doing prospecting boot camps. Uh, he's in Outbound Squad right now, and he works at a company you might recognize called ADP, and he's a major accounts district manager and HCM consultant. So the guy just kills it at his job. So what we're going to talk about today that I think you'll really find uh, helpful is we really dig into his backstory, how he got into sales. His mom was from El Salvador. His dad's from New Orleans. I didn't know that about him. Uh, we talk about how he sells because he sells large enterprise deals. So how he builds relationships with prospects, how he challenges them, um, this whole insights thing that we hear about a lot in sales, we talk about that, how to lead with insights, the difference between building rapport that's sort of fake, disingenuine versus stuff that actually builds a better relationship. And he also talks about outbound. So one of the things he talks about is his mindset of coming in as a peer. This one's filled with a ton of goodies. He's one of the best sales reps I've ever worked with personally. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. So without further ado... Let's cut to the episode. Dude, I got to ask you, because we've known each other for a little while now. Do you have this presence about you that's very much like, you know, I don't know if you're religious or not, but like you could feel like a preacher, dude. <laughs> oh my know? goodness. You have that man. type of energy. I, Has anyone I... ever told you that? You know what? I haven't had the specific preacher reference, yeah. but I've had everything like, dude, are you a are you a radio DJ or have you been like the spokesperson for a company? Like yeah. I've had all of that. Like you come out and your message and your delivery is tight, man. Like it like uh, so preacher is my first one, but I'm sure people have thought it. <laughs> so what were you like as uh, you know, when you think back to middle school, high school, I've always known you to be pretty charismatic. I don't know if you're necessarily extroverted, but what what were you like in middle school and high school? How would you describe your sort of like social, you yeah. know, kind of energy and presence? Man, that is a great question. Honestly, that is a great question um, because it leads to so many things about like who I am today, why I do things. Mm -hmm. So I love that question, by the way. Um, me in middle school and high school, I, most people would see me as an extrovert. I, honestly, like most people, I would probably consider myself more like an ambivert, like the majority of the world. Like I'm not on one extreme. Like there's some people who say they're an extrovert and they're true extroverts. Like they walk in and they're like, here I am, let's, let's go. Um, my personality by nature is, is, um, is very extroverted when I'm, when I'm comfortable. But honestly, I'd probably consider myself more an introvert, at least initially. Like when I meet people, I'm, I love one-on-one -on -one settings a ton. Yeah far more than I love big groups. Like I still get a little bit anxiety in, in large groups, like some people don't. Um, but me in a one-on-one -on -one setting, I love that. 
my energy is super high. Um, and that was probably me. And like, if you were to describe me in middle school, that's me in middle school. And it, and it plays a big influence because I come from two worlds. So my, my mom is born and raised from, you know, in El Salvador in Central America. So oh, wow. I have still have a lot of family there and, you know, Spanish culture, we are loud. We're a big family. When somebody asks you like, how many family members do you have? Most people would think, oh, I have my mom, my dad, my sister. Like we like cousins and friends and uncles. Like I got 47 cousins. <laughs> um, so we got a big, loud family, man. That's where like my high energy comes from. And then my dad's born and raised in, in New Orleans, Louisiana. And, you know, we come from, you know, a little bit, little bit less. The, the parties are a little bit less loud. And <laughs> so two different types of environments that I grew up in, man, that definitely like kind of molds my Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type of personality. <laughs> so if you, if you remember back in high school, did you, was there anything in particular career path wise that you wanted to get into or that was inspiring to you? Anything like that? For sure. I, um, I always loved business. I always loved business. Really? I don't, I don't know why, you know, it always drew to me. Um, I, I'll tell you a story. I remember being a freshman in high school. And my mom is a landscape architect. She worked for a company called Landscape Images. And as a part of the exercise for the company, they had everybody read this book. And it was basically on entrepreneurialism. And, entrepreneurialism. and um, you know, it's a small company. So they wanted everybody to have this buy-in and, and looked in from an entrepreneurial lens. And so she had it on the table and I saw the book and I was like, that's interesting. And for someone who struggled to complete like any of the of the high school coursework, I read that book front to back, like cover to cover. I came back and I told her, I was like, oh, mom, they talk about this. And that's what she took notes and took it back for the for her work. <laughs> and she's like, I've never had you're like the only person who actually read the full book. <laughs> and um, so ever since I can remember, I, I always loved business. I knew I wanted to be involved with business, which is kind of what led me to sales, because truly from what I do is I talk about from a high level organizations, what's happening within your business. I love having those conversations, tying it to high level priorities, seeing how do you drive change? Like that always has gotten me excited since I was a little kid. And so I've always kind of dabbled in it. And really that's what drove me to sales. I think I always found myself kind of, I don't think I ever had that intention um, directly there, but it's where I've always kind of like all those things come together is kind of where it made me land. Okay, I have to ask you about that then. So you were thinking about as a kid, business, you were thinking you had business acumen as a kid. Yeah. Where did that come from? Were, the, were there people in your family that you saw, watched? I know it sounds like your mom worked for someone at a small business. Where yeah. does that come from, man? You know, I think it comes from a couple of things. For me, I, I like that the sense of business is kind of like strategy. So like my favorite mm -hmm. games to play were like Stratego <laughs> and like, <laughs> yeah. do you remember this game Stratego? Yeah. You had little pieces, you turn around and yeah. man, I, I love that game. Where are we going to set the bombs yeah. up and where do I put my spy and how do I, what do I think he's going to do and how to, I love those games. I played like World of Warcraft before it was like the individual, mm -hmm. but when you had to play, like you'd build the little armies and attack and. I always liked that business had a little bit of that, like, how do I position things? What the strategy aspect of it was always really intriguing to me. So I was always drawn to it. And then I think secondarily, I think there's, there's been, our family has had pockets of that. Um, 
especially my cousins have really gotten, you know, have, have started businesses and been successful. And I think that certainly played an influence. And so um, growing up, having that around me and then really the, the, the loving, the strategy aspect of it kind of like was a draw for me for sure. So, so what were your friends? What did your friends think of this, dude? Did you have friends that were into it or did your friends just like, dude, what the fuck are you doing, man? No, man. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I want to go play video games. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let's play Stratego, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, um, it was definitely, you know, I definitely had my own pockets. I, at, as far as my circle yeah. of friends, I'm the only one I, I joke. I went to, uh, actually I should have gone into medicine for some reason. Cause I, all, all my best men are all in medicine in some capacity. So they're doctors yeah. or, or lawyers or, or something in that re and realm. And I'm the one person who's like, I love business. Y'all don't think y'all don't play Stratego and want to start a company. Um, <laughs> so yeah, for sure. I'm a lonely island of one on that. <laughs> so you end up going to Louisiana State University studying marketing, it looks like. Mm -hmm. How did you get into sales? What was your first sales job? Yeah, so I, I always found myself kind of and everywhere that I'd been going up to that getting into some type of sales capacity so like my first job I worked as um at a comp at a place called celebration station when I was 16 man this is like the place where you go to play the video games and everything else and uh honestly I I didn't want to I wanted to be in the back in the kitchen I was like put me in the kitchen let me just cook I, you know and they're like, Jason, your personality and the way you talk, we're going to put you on the floor. And your job is to try to get people to play more games and interact with them. I'm like, man, I don't want to do that. But I was great at it. <laughs> I got, yeah. I was good at engaging with people. I'd be like, hey, man, what brings you in? What kind of game you play? Oh, have you tried this game? This game's dope over here. And, um, and I would always get like ranked. So, you know, it was funny. I like, I never really like had sales as an outlook. Um, but I naturally always kind of got, kind of found myself in those type of positions. So when I got to LSU, I knew I liked business and I liked the strategy of it. I liked the psychology that's tied a lot with um, business. So marketing felt like a natural fit. So I went to, I went to study marketing. I got a minor in Spanish, just mostly out of my family, you know, with background and, and, um, and thought that I would go like directly the marketing route um, uh, once I graduated. And, uh, and then sure enough, once I, once I graduated, you know, I found myself, um, I got, I got a job with, enterprise holdings at enterprise rent a car man you know big rental car company yeah. and uh somewhat of a sales focus and that really kind of started my trajectory of of sales post-graduation so honestly i never set out with that but like literally it's been it's been a huge blessing because it's it's been a great impact on my life and like and and really shifted like how i even look towards the profession so it's weird right because you look back now and i there's a time where i could have never imagined myself being in sales or business, you know, eight, 17, 18 years old, even. Yeah. And then now I look back, even though I run a business now and sales is a part of that, of course, I couldn't imagine mm -hmm. doing something where I'm not selling something. Mm -hmm. I could not imagine doing it. It would just be crazy to me. Right. Um, okay. With your first sales job, if you remember what, what part of the, of selling came the least natural to you? What did you have to really work? Through? You know, I think the hardest part for me when I first got into sales is I think by naturally like sales draws, there's a certain level of, of liking to at least interact with other people. Right. And I was yeah. good at that aspect of it. I was really great at 
getting to know you, getting comfortable, Jay Bay, where are you from, man? What brings you, you know, all of that. But when it came time to, to actually sell and convert, a, I have a product mm. or service that can help you, that I struggle to make that transition. You know, I put such a high priority on the relationship, on getting to know you, that I struggled initially on how do I step out of that part of it and focus on how can I help you with this specific problem or area that my product or service helps with. And so that was probably the hardest transition for me initially starting in sales. What was so hard about it? I think for the hard part about it is that when it came to building that relationship or in that, in that interaction. And when I first started, it was much more transactional, right? And they, it became more complex as I spent time. But um, initially, typically you talk about like the kind of the friend zone, like you get kind of like, I get, I build a relationship, but I don't, I don't have any questions or I don't have any type of targeted conversation that's unpacking a specific need or problem that I'm ultimately why we're engaged. And so I, I put the priority on the relationship and I haven't built any value or tie back to the product or solution that I'm ultimately presenting. So when it came time to sell, there was no, there was no really great value that I could, I could provide. I didn't ask the right questions. I wasn't good at, at uncovering the specific problems. And so when it came time to sell, it was really hard for me. And because I was good at making the relationship, I wasn't good at challenging things. And so I, cause I didn't want to disrupt the relationship. I put that priority over they actually solving a problem. And so it became hard. So initially I didn't, I didn't perform well. I wasn't, I wasn't like, I didn't come out the gates and was like, yeah, this is great. I'm crushing it. I actually struggled. I struggled for a while. It was until I kind of learned to make that transition that I start, started to see some success. What did it feel like when you were doing that? Was it, were you were you afraid of being too salesy or pushy or offending the person? What what was going through your head that was like keeping you from connecting the dots? I think this is a really important topic, by the way, because yeah. these two things that we're talking about, I see are just pervasive in even uh, veteran salespeople yep. struggle with this. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I, a lot of times you hear people like you people buy from people they know, like, and trust. And that is really... Mm -hmm. Is such a small aspect of it because there's a lot of people who do yeah, not no buy shit, from huh? people who do who they know you, they like you, and they trust you and won't buy jack from you. <laughs> so yeah. um, I kind of came in with that mentality of like, okay, look, if I get them to know, like, and trust me, then I can I can sell it. And you'd get the problem. What happens is is when you do that, when it comes time to sell, a you don't get any objections because they're worried about about ruining the relationship as well. So I found myself where I would get like, oh, huh, yeah, that sounds cool. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much. Okay, yeah, let me think about it. And I'm like, yes, got him. <laughs> and then nothing would convert. And, and I would always be left scratching my head like, man, they gave me great feedback. Um, I don't know what's wrong. They really like me. We had a great conversation. I found out where their kids are from, <laughs> you know, where they went to, where they went yeah. to school. We, we got, found things in common. And uh, what's the latest with it? Like, I don't know. So that was always a challenge. And it, was, it wasn't until I realized that it, it is far more than just getting the know, like, and trust. Building credibility is, is your ability to ask great questions and to get people to think and leading with insights that shows that you are experienced within it. That, for me, was the biggest change. It wasn't about you know, the, 
this the spitballing that's great a little bit just some familiarity dropping a little bit of the guard they talk about like the croc brain right like so when you initially talk to some meet somebody you're talking from croc brain to croc brain like do i eat kill or run away from this person hey don't no need to run away i'm not going to eat you i'm not going to kill you um this yeah. is a safe space okay great now let me build credibility through the questions so that was like a game changer for me jb like i like I, when I was, once I learned to pivot out of that and say, okay, let me show that I work with people like you, that I, that I understand your world. And let me now pose some questions that I hear from other people who are in your world and curious how you're handling that. And that ultimately leads to priorities, which lead to problems, which then leads to me, well, let me tell you how we specifically here can help with that specific problem. And that was a game changer for me. Oh man, there's a bunch of areas I want to take this, but I am curious. Did you have a mentor that helped you through this journey? I did. I've had I've had several people, people that a, know who I am and then people who don't know who I am. <laughs> um, honestly, I'd probably say the person that most recently was a great when it comes to like networking and actually having those kind of conversations was my one is one of my previous bosses, Joey Rosenfeld. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time working for him and he was a excellent person at at being able to have those penetrating questions and honestly a fantastic networker and a, not a networker just a network but like a, a very strategic networker and so a lot of my current networking skills and abilities i leverage from him um and then i followed a lot of people um jay bay i consider you one of those folks man so you're you're definitely in that group as i consider a mentor um you know look i also follow like i've liked um oren cloth with with from um pitch anything there's um you know spin selling a lot of books those folks that i just i always get nuggets from jeb blunt um there's a lot of folks but i'd probably say you right now and uh and joey rosenfeld have probably been two of the, the the biggest influences i've had as of recently i appreciate that man i've learned a lot from you too it's uh it's it's really cool to see because that's sort of how we met is you signed <laughs> up for uh one of the boot camps i was running you're an outbound right. squad now and and uh i was just I was like, oh, this it's it's really cool to see how people like you apply the stuff. Yeah. yeah. To me, that's that's awesome because I like coming in and providing an example, but I know that the way that I've thought this through is not the the best way or the only way. You know, sure. and to see someone take a framework and apply it is really cool. Um <laughs> Okay, so you mentioned no like trust, and we need to move beyond no like trust. I want to spend some time on this insights thing because that's one thing that really sticks out to me about what you do. And maybe what you could do is just give a kind of a brief primer on, you know, what are you selling now? What are you doing? And how do you think about insights? Because you're prospecting now, maybe share a little bit about that too. Like you're reaching out to yeah. executives now. Yeah. These are not yeah. people running small businesses necessarily. These are not, you know, <laughs> uh, it's not a consumer type sale that's super transactional. Like these yeah. people, like you have to lead with insights in order to get a meeting, you know, with these folks. Right. But yeah, tell me a little bit, uh, just everyone a little about what are you doing right sure. now? Who are you selling to? And how do you think about this insights piece? Yeah, for sure. So I, um, so I work currently for ADP, automatic data processing. And what I currently sell is um, human capital management solutions. So what that, what that means is basically we provide the technology and HR strategy to help support anything that comes around your workforce. So when I reach out, I'm often reaching out to CFOs, CEOs, CHROs. And in my sales cycle, typically I'm going to have anywhere between 
three to six stakeholders in any decision maker. So I've got to be able to talk to multiple, multiple stakeholders within an organization who are all going to have their own individual priorities that they're looking, which tie up to an overall overarching. So for me, like when it comes to insights, you know, I, I often reference a phrase called give to get. Like I, I, I say that very often. Um, so many times, a lot of times when I find when I was initially doing things is I would come out and I, we're all seeking information. So I would be getting and I would be asking questions. But part of building that credibility and then me getting is, is leading with insight. So I'll give you for an, for an example. Um, a lot of times I'm talking about what's happening, labor trends, workforce trends. And, and so I might lead off and say, hey, look, you know, prior to 2020, if you were to look up how many remote positions existed, it existed about 5% of the total open positions that you could find on ZipRecruiter were fully remote positions. Guess what the number is now in 2022? That number is approaching 40%. That is a wow. monster jump. So that means that if you're a business and let's say you're located in, in North, you know, North Dakota, who do, typically before when you were competing at talent, you were, you were looking at it from a micro level. Who are the other companies in my area that are, that are doing similar or looking for similar talent? Now you're, you're competing across state borders. We're seeing organizations in California recruiting from Louisiana and Louisiana recruiting from California, especially for white collar labor, intellectual capital. You have to have to be able to step back and look at it from a higher lens. So knowing that shift, how are you handling the changes that are working within the organization? How are you handling some of those things we're having when it comes to workforce? So that's me giving a, giving an insight and saying, here's what we're seeing. This is what's happening. Here's some data and insights to back that. How are you handling that? And it's much better than me just saying like, hey, how do you handle finding talent? <laughs> um, yeah. Versus giving some context and then allowing that to drive a little bit of the conversation. So, I mean, this is key to large mid-market and enterprise, you know, selling. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if I break that down a little bit, it sounds like there's this insight. I'm very specific about what that means. So you talked about sort of the problem and the impact mm -hmm. of that insight that you're seeing with these businesses. And then you make an ask. I call that question stacking, where we stack some yep. context in front of the question instead yep. of asking a really lazy, open-ended question. Right. And it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, you're very intentional with doing that to demonstrate business acumen, expertise. I'm a, you know, consulting, uh, consultant, advisor, right. that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying around the credibility. So it's not so much um, opening up and saying, here's here's my here's my resume, here's what I've done. Um, it's through the conversation that builds that credibility, and that ultimately that likability, that trust is coming from from a place of of, you know, expertise than it is just like, you like me as a, cause I'm a cool guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Let's talk about those insights. I do want to double click on something though, because people do share insights, but they don't, they don't provide the context of what it means. Like you did there just now. Yeah. I do want yeah. to double click. That's, that's super, super important. So yeah. how do you find the insights? Does ADP provide those insights to you? Do you do a lot of digging around? How do you know? And how do you know if an insight is good or bad? How do you how do you find this stuff? Yeah, well, I use a couple of different things. I think it's important for me, especially because I do sell to, you know, mid-sized organizations, enterprise level. Um, I use uh, Feedly. So like, uh, you know, I create every morning as part of my, as my morning routine 
is I have a feed leaf for different trends. So I'll do Google searches for like, you know, anything that's within my industry. And I'll try to do it segmented by um, different role types. So whether it's CFOs, CHROs, or CEOs, there's a lot of great resources out there that I'll pull from. And so Feedly will kind of drop into me and every morning I'll peek at that. Um, and I just try to kind of get a pulse on what's happening within each of those, you know, verticals, you say, or, you know, stakeholders. Um, and then it's just publications, you know, research, part of my, you know, part of like even what we talk about a lot in Outbound Squad is, is doing, you know, above the line and below the line. Like what are, what are, who am I reaching out to? What are the priorities? What are some of the things that are shifting? And then when I'm building out any type of sequences and outright outreach, the, the first thing I'm doing before any of that is, is, is creating a deck of like, what is important right now? Like if I'm a CFO when I'm at, within a manufacturing company, what are other CFOs having conversations with? And, and so I, I use a lot that we use from Outbound Squad. One of the easiest ways is, is talking with, with, with people that are working in those businesses. So, you know, I have, I have a pretty wide network and if sometimes it's just picking up the phone and reaching out to a buddy who I know does manufacture and said, Hey man, if, if you were like, what's happening, if, if you're CFO, like, what are you, what's going on in your industry? Like, right. If I was just to call you right now, like what is something that you at your company are going to be talking about? And you can get a ton and people are always eager to help. Um, so I used to be kind of hesitant or, or trepidatious about that. And it's like, people want to help. Like, especially if you come with a place of, of genuine curiosity, um, people will open yeah. up. So I get a lot from, from publications. I get a lot from existing customers. Um, I'd get a lot from um, my network. Um, there's a lot of ways that I go about doing that. Um, those are just a, just a few. So the Feedly, I'm a big fan of Feedly too. I love Feedly. Yeah, yeah so it's great. So for if if you're listening and and you're wondering what Feedly is, it's a way that you can essentially set up an RSS feed and subscribe to all your favorite blogs and categorize them and all that kind of stuff. So with right. Feedly. You're looking for resources, if I cop that right, on persona-specific stuff, so resources out there for CFOs, let's say, and then you're also looking for kind of vertical-specific stuff. Right. So what's going on in manufacturing right now? What's going on in tech? What's going on in insurance or retail or whatever it is that you're selling into? Okay. Exactly. Exactly. What, do you, what, what filter do you then put on to know what information to look for in those resources? So they don't get bogged down. Like, I'm sure. I'm sure you don't spend ten hours a week going through Feedly. You probably have some specific things. I'm sure that you're looking yeah. for. Well, the good the good thing about it is that everything is everything builds upon itself. So you know, if mm-hmm. if, if for anybody listening, if 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 you're not doing this, it may sound like an over like a daunting effort <laughs> to do. Um, it may be some front end work, but now it's it's very relatively easy because right now it's I already have a lot of information that I have stacked by each vertical. So whether it's, you know, manufacturing, I'll just stick with that one because we kind of started with that. So I already have a ton of stuff that is within manufacturing. So I already come in with a lens. So some of the stuff I might see, I might be like, yeah, I already know about that or I've heard that. So it's me spanning, scanning for something that I haven't seen. So honestly, each morning, it's probably 20, 30 minutes tops that I'm spending each day reviewing those things. Um, I'm scanning, I'm looking for something that might stand out, what would catch my attention. Um, and so that's some of the things that I'm looking for. So honestly, through time, it, it, it's it, the amount of effort and the return is, is increases with time for sure. You have such a good point there because it's, I mean, you read a lot of books, it sounds like, or business books or sales books. And once you've read a certain amount, you start to see patterns. Yeah. 
that, hey, there's a lot of different sales methodologies out there, but they're all going to agree on quite a few things. Right. That, uh, hey, I need to align whatever I'm doing with some bigger priority or initiative that's going on at the company. Yeah. I need to be able to talk about problems that they may either be aware or unaware of that are getting in the way, and then I need to align my solution with that. That's going to be the consensus across all of the methodologies. Right. You know, and what I'm hearing from you is it's something very similar. You may not pick this up in the first couple of weeks, but months of doing this, you start to see yeah. that there's a lot of patterns here. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I see across my clients is labor shortage. Labor shortage across a company that sells an automated welding solution. So they're working, selling into manufacturers, and the big thing they're dealing with is welding. And then I had another company that's staffing. And then another company that sells an employee experience solution. And these are three very different solutions being affected by the same exact problem in a very, yeah. very similar way, actually. Right. You know, so you kind of start to see those patterns. Exactly. So, so you're leading with these insights. Let's talk about the next piece. This is something we talk about in Outbound Squad a lot, of course, is these priorities. Right. So you said priorities, then problems, and solution. I don't want to gloss over that. Why did you mention those things and in that order? Yeah, well, I, you know, shout out to um, to Ethan, you know, Ethan Parker. You know, one of the things that when we were even going through the boot camp together is he talked a lot about priorities over problems. Priorities will lead to problems, which then leads to the value and the service. And, um, you know, it was a great context. Honestly, for me, it was a lot of times I was thinking of it from the problem. Like, what are the, here are the problems and let me try to get to that problem. And uh, the priorities lead to problems so much quicker. And I'll give you an example. So typically like for a, for a bank, you know, one of the problems you just shared is, is labor. Okay. So, you know, right now that you, you hear about the, the, the talent, the talent tsunami, the great, the great recession, you know, the great retention, you know, all these different things that are talking about it's, it's a challenge. There's not a, there's not really an industry that's, that is immune to it right now. Everybody is feeling it. Um, but I could easily go to that or try to poke at that. But for this bank, you know, I opened up and asked just simply around what are the top priorities? What are the things that have your attention right now? And then it, it talked about driving loan to deposit ratios. Like, hey, we've got a lopsided loan to deposit ratio, like from this, this CEO. And honestly, this was a CEO that, that I was able to book the meeting using the direct outbound prospect. And then we did straight from a cold call, got a meeting with the CEO talking about high level priorities. And then in, and in the discovery, we, we led with like, here's what we're hearing from other CEOs like yourself working within banking, but I'm curious, you know, what are, if you had to say in the next 12 months, what are the top two, two or three priorities that have your attention that you're focusing on? Well, hey, I'm lopsided right now. Typically, most banks that you look at have a 70 to 30 loan to deposit ratio. We're a flip of that. I've got to figure out how to do that. Okay, that's a priority. Okay, that's, 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 that's what has its attention. Now we go, what are the problems affecting that? And we ultimately got to the problem being that the talent, Hey, the structure that he has within the organization, how do we get Rainmaker loan officers to help drive that? How do I, I I've got it, it all centered back to the talent. Now, I didn't have, if I would have gone straight to the problem, I wouldn't have the context of why it's important. And especially when it comes to translating a bigger number, when we're talking about millions of dollars of revenue versus a specific, how do I, you know, what are, what are some compensations or a specific niche that doesn't tie to a bigger problem, priority? So Really, once I was able to shift that and think of it from a priority, what are the priorities? That's really what I want to know initially. So important. What are the priorities? Because that's going to give me the high level. Okay, now let's look at the different problems that may be holding you back. 
I might not be able to help all of them, but I might be able to fix one of them that's going to help you get to that. Now we're talking about a bigger number, talking about a bigger challenge than just maybe one specific problem we solve. So that's been a big thing, priorities, then problems, and then ultimately the value and service you provide. Yeah, I just thought of this too. It, it makes a lot of sense because in your personal life, think of how you choose to, like who you choose to spend time with. Yeah. It's usually a commonality in values of some sort. You're, you're, you're on the, a similar trajectory to this person. You are right. aspiring for things that are very similar. It's usually not because you have shit going on in your life that's similar. Right. It's usually not for like trauma bonding, you know, right. that kind of thing. It's usually <laughs> right. not what you're looking for in the people that you associate with. Cause yeah. Yeah. Cause if, you know, yeah, as a CEO, if it's, if we have alignment around what we're trying to accomplish, that looks at me and like, oh, Jason fits in this bucket. Jason, you, not Jason, me. Right. Fits in this, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. for people listening. Right. Fits, uh, you know, fits in this bucket, you yeah. know? And it's interesting you went from the, because you're, you're totally right. If you went from talent structure or loan officers, you said, hey, we're seeing a big problem with, you know, people not being able to attract the type of loan officers they want to attract. That also might push you down. Right to someone else that is in charge of managing or hiring those people, which is probably not the CEO. Right. So you kept the conversation high level too. Yeah. This is a, it's really interesting. So with those priorities, can you share some more? How did, how do you find and kind of gather these? What was that process like while you were doing this, figuring out what are those priorities? Cause that's, that's the issue that people usually have. Well, you know, it's, it's, um, the, the great thing about the more that you can do outbound and the more that you can get into conversations leads to value in future calls. So there's been plenty of, there's been plenty of conversations and discoveries that I've done that haven't led anywhere, or maybe they have paused or it's timing or whatever it could be. Right. It's, it, you know, but I've, I gain a lot from those conversations that I leverage in future conversations. So the example I just gave you, I can, I can go into now another CEO of another bank and leverage a conversation I had with another CEO of a bank, of a similar bank. So there's a huge value that in, in the outbound process by the nature of, of who you're targeting will help you be able to align. So that's, and, and this will be a bit of a pivot on like what you're sharing, but like sometimes it, I think it can be scary to reach out. They talk about like selling to the, 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 the top level executive, you know, that can be somewhat like, hey, I specifically solved this problem. So I'm going to try to sell to this specific you know, the stakeholder, maybe director level, or maybe even below the line level. And um, those are more difficult to convert because they're ultimately not the ultimate decision maker. And so you, you flow through them and you're trying to level up. And so the more conversations you have with your ultimate key executives, the easier it yeah. becomes. So like what I've found now is I honestly can have, it's easier for me to, it's way easier for me to talk to a CEO than it is to talk to an HR director or, or um, you know, to a, a director of finance or, or even, a, you know, a, a general manager. Um, I, I just, I don't have as many conversations. And so the majority of my uh, conversations are typically at the C-suite who are thinking at, at, at a bit of a higher level. And so the feedback they get, the credibility that I build is, is around that area. So it becomes more natural through time. So like, that's a big thing too. Um, it's just that using the actual discovery and the conversations you have to actually fuel future discussions. Yeah, it's almost like um, there's this compound effect we've talked about a couple of times where you start yeah. to do outbound. I don't think that people think about the compound effect of doing it consistently because of the feedback right. that you get. Right. A lot of times, and you have experience, you know, starting businesses. I, 
<laughs> you know, before we hit record, you were talking about that. And dude, I failed six businesses, man. This is the only one I've started that's worked out. So, <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Kudos, man. But, You're better than most. <laughs> but I think of business, it's there's so much validation that happens. So before we started Blissful Prospecting in 2016, 2017, I was doing the work that I do now, but I was had a done for you service that I was just doing as a freelancer and a consultant for companies. Right. I was selling it first, figuring out the packaging, then we formally rolled it out. With Blissful Prospecting, we've we've had done for you services. I I did primarily consulting for a while. And then more recently, yeah. last couple of years, it's been coaching and training. And then yeah. we had the boot camp, which we converted into outbound squad. We're about to convert our company offers into outbound squad. And there's all this validation that if I was right. not doing anything, putting out content, not working with customers, not trying to sell something new, I never would have figured out what people actually wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm hearing from you is it's maybe not MVP, like minimum viable product. It's maybe minimum viable prospecting, you know, right. and it's how do we mm. do this and get really good feedback from it so that even if I don't set a meeting, Hey, now I know that that that's not a priority or maybe the timing wasn't right for them, but I got this little insight that can help me. That's mm-hmm. so, so important. I mean, just even for staying motivated to continue doing it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then there's the power of, um, if you truly execute, I've had, I've had referrals from people who didn't do business with me. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, if you execute really well and you come in and you can lead with those insights, you can validate that you, you do have those conversations, you provide them with some insight that they can take away the back to the business. Even if it's not with you, I've had people where I've gotten referrals to other C-suite leaders through that. And, th- and there's the power we talked a little bit about too, about your personal brands, like how well are you connecting? You know, a lot of times I come in and lead and say, hey, look, I want to have a discussion with you. Um, you know, I work with a lot of similar groups. Here's some of the priorities and the challenges that we're hearing. We got some things that can help with that. Really, I'd love to share with you. Maybe get your unique perspective. And hey, I'm also talking with a lot of other leaders um, like yourself. We'd love to connect you to those where it may be valuable. So I, I come in, yeah. you know, already with the mindset that, hey, I'm, I'm a peer. You know, I, I, I'm having, mm-hmm. I have conversations and a network with similar people, probably have a, a larger Rolodex than, than, than the individual I'm meeting with. So, you know, I think once, I, I think there's a lot of folks who kind of almost feel like this inferiority, inferiority complex. And, and um, you, know, you bring a lot of value. I think anybody in, in sales, whether you're an SDR or, you know, you're a, you're a top line, you know, enterprise level executive, sales executive, like you bring a ton of value. You talk with a lot of business leaders and, probably more so than the business leaders you call on. <laughs> They're in the trench yeah. in the day-to-day of their business. And so I often lead with that, like, hey, look, we may not we may not part, as, part ways as business partners, but I'm talking with a lot of other people. I would love to highlight your organization where it seems fit. If there's having a conversation at the end of this, I'm going to think of two or three people that I would love to connect you with. And if there's somebody, maybe it doesn't fit for you, but this does strike a resonance for somebody in your network, I'd love the opportunity to have a conversation with them as well. And when coming in with that aspect, People are appreciative of that. Like, hey, great. And I've referred people who they want businesses with other clients. Like, hey, I just talked with XYZ. They said they do this and you were looking for this. I'd like to connect y'all to. And hey, look, I didn't do business with them, but they connect me there. So there's a power of, by the nature of the role of reaching out and speaking with business leaders, that there is a major ability to become a connector in your market or your specific space. And I try to leverage that as much as I can. Yeah, that's so powerful. Was there a moment in time where you made this mindset shift that you have now? 
Uh, yeah, I can actually say I, 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 I can't remember when, but I remember the reference. It's a book. I, I forgot. I read somebody read an article and they said the top five books and it was Keith Ferrazzi's Never Eat Alone. Um, if yeah. I can give a highlight, Keith Ferrazzi's Never Eat Alone. I read that book and it really changed when it comes to the power of networking and leveraging it within the sales cycle. That was huge for me. Um, I realized in that moment, I was like, man, I got a pretty, I got a pretty powerful, I'm talking with a lot of business leaders. I bring a lot of value, just simply an ability to connect. And, um, that was huge for me. Um, so if I could give a shout out, Keith Ferrazzi's never eat alone is a great book that talks about how can you be a master of your network and a master connector to where you, you bring a ton of value, even outside of just the product or service that you, that you sell, but your ability to connect with other influencers in your market. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm just thinking of being, a, you know, an AE, being able to introduce your prospects to each other, yeah. VPs and C-level type folks. That is Absolutely. huge. Yeah, think um, about that, how, how often like a VP of sales is, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to make impact in their business. They're trying to impact top, you know, top line revenue, how valuable they would love to talk with two or three other people who are, who are pursuing, you know, either similar markets or maybe not competitors, yeah. but, but similar verticals. And, and if you could connect them, how valuable is that? Like, Hey, look, you talked about trying to do this. We work with the XYZ company, or maybe you didn't even work with them. Like, Hey, I had a great conversation with this group. I'd love to connect you to, and you're the link. Yeah. You're now the link between those two people. You've got an, you can go back to those people at any time because you become the connector. That and there's major value in that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, man. We're gonna shift gears a little bit. I got some kind of rapid style, uh rapid fire style questions. All right, that let's I do it. Spot. <laughs> I love it. So, if you could only send one email to a prospect, so you're not allowed to follow up multiple times, you can't call them, social, nothing. That mm -hmm. one email's gotta be dynamite. How would you write that email in a way that would be compelling enough to get a response or a meeting? Is there anything that you would do differently? One email that is really tough. Um, I don't know if I have a silver bullet. If I did, I would, I would definitely share it or I would love to know what it is. But if I had to write one email, I would, I would probably have the biggest thing that I find that email converts is the personalization. Um, because I, in, in my opinion, email tends to be, it's, it's a, it's a one-to-one -one conversation. It's not a conversation. So it's only a one-to-one. -one. And the other challenge about it is that it provides no emotional context. You and I having a conversation, we can see each other. You can see me smiling. You can see my body language. You can hear the inflection of my voice. None of that comes out in email. So uh, you have to evoke some emotion and nothing's more powerful than, than a personalization. So if I did, I would make sure that it, it would be an email with an open and a close of a personalization. I give an example. Um, it would say, Hey, Jay Bay, loved your most recent episode with, with Jason Roussel. His stuff was awesome <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Never heard anybody better, <laughs> man. I, I took away one, two, and three. Hey, those three things made me think of this thought it would be relevant. Tying it back. Well, why don't we sit down? I'd love to unpack it with you, whatever call to action. And then ultimately closing with another emotional tie PS can't wait for your next drop. I'll be eagerly listening. That would get my attention. I'm emotionally invested. The body is quite not even honestly, not as important as those two opening and, and closing statements. So that would be my, that would be my, my email. Love it. If you had to pick between email, phone, 
and social, and you could only pick one channel to prospect with, and the others are off limits. What do you pick and why? Um, another tough one. Um, force me to force my hand phone. I'd say the phone. Um, and because um, it's 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 an interaction, it's an engagement. I can have a conversation. Um, so I would say the phone. I would recommend all three, but if I had to pick one, I'd say the phone for sure. Yeah, me too. Last one is, um, if you had to, God, there's one, another one I want to ask you to actually. <laughs> we'll do, oh, we'll I'm out, man. Rapid fire. Let's do this. <laughs> um, These are, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. You're going to ask some weird ones, but let, let's go for it. I'm game for whatever. <laughs> yeah. What's uh, cause you, you consume a lot of sales books, advice, that sort of stuff. What are, what is something that is commonly held as a, you know, good sales or outbound advice that you disagree with? Ooh. Um, I constantly hear, I'm going to share two actually. Um, one thing I constantly hear is, is, is one channel or cold calling is dead. I, I, I don't agree with that at all. I don't know why it's still out there. Um, it's just incorrect. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's objectively incorrect. Um, incorrect, like anything you use, um, can be poorly, poorly executed. Social channels can be terrible if executed poorly. Email can be terrible if executed incorrectly. The, the, the reason I think cold calling gets a bad rap is because it does require the most skill. I can sit down for an email and I can, I can take an hour if I want and recraft it and recraft it and recraft it and then hit send when I think it's right. You got to be on the spot when you have a phone call. It's a, it's an, it's a direct one-to-one engagement and so many people uh, screw it up. Um, and so it is just like any other skill. I consider myself like a, a, a professional baseball player in the MLB practices. I'm a professional salesperson. I'm, I'm a professional phone caller. I'm going to be professional when I have that call. I'm going to make sure I execute it really, really well. So I think that is the one thing that I really disagree with. Um, the other thing that I was going to say that I constantly hear about, and this is this one I don't think, I think this is more subjective, but I do disagree with it, which is the... Um, the, the direct ask or like the, those who are against the permission-based approach or have said, hey, look, I, you know, I go in and I say, my name's Jason and we need to meet. Here's why. Let's do this. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I don't agree. And I, and I use this example of even, even uh, pick, pick, the, pick the CEO of, 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 you know, Verizon right now. If he, was in, if he was in a room, a group of setting of people all walking around, maybe 10 people out of, out of, out of, out of 50 are going to know who that is. He's going to come in. And if he was walking to a group of people who are already talking and you're interrupting, or you're trying to step in to have a conversation, he's going to at least to say, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. It's just not normal social practice, but Hey, excuse me real quick. I, I know you were just chatting. I just wanted to say, hello. Okay. If I, if I wanted to introduce myself real quick, that's, that's just common courtesy. That's not, that's not a sign of weakness. That's not a sign. That's just natural social interaction. And by giving that permission, oh yeah, of course. And then you say, oh, hey, I'm the CEO of <laughs> Verizon. <laughs> um, yeah. I wanted to reach out. You're like, oh my gosh, I'd love to talk to you. So, you know, this kind of, that, that approach was somewhat bash that I, I just disagree with it. I think that, you know, naturally if in a cold call, I'm big on the permission-based approach. It's extremely effective for me. Um, and, you know, it's just naturally just, just kind of puts the driver's seat back, gets the ball back to them. It's a natural social interaction and it allows to slow the conversation down 
so that that can actually have an engaged audience versus me pushing, pushing. It's too easy for them to retreat. So I highly disagree with that one uh, when I hear people say it. those are my two. Dude, two killer ones. We'll actually end there. Before <laughs> you take off, where can people go to connect with you? You got a LinkedIn page you're posting content on. You got a yeah, podcast. Where can people go to check you out? There's a couple places you can find me. Feel free to email me directly. It's my first dot last name, jason.russell at ADP, automatic data processing or Alpha Delta Papa. Um, dot com. Uh, you can find me on my podcast at so foundersbr.com. That's foundersbatonrouge.com. Um, and we have some content there sharing entrepreneurial stories. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. Just look me up, Jason Roussel at ADP. Um, and I'm always engaged. I'm always putting content. Love to meet new folks. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me.